Gracious God and Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable to you through the blood, the sacrifice, the mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. Many years ago, I was part of a group that traveled to Grand Teton National Park. This was in the winter, the early uh, months of 1972, and it was our goal to ski in from the west, from Idaho, into the National Park. And our objective was to climb the South Teton. Now, in the winter, there's really no water in the mountains to drink. It's all in the form of snow, or it's frozen in the form of ice. And so the mountains in the winter are really like a desert, because if you're thirsty, you, you, could, you could eat snow, but snow is much less dense than water. And they say it takes 10 liters of snow to equal one liter of water. And when you figure that a grown man needs at least three liters of water a day to stay hydrated, and we're carrying very heavy packs on our backs, and we're skiing through the mountains, we're going to require more than uh, three liters of water, probably between three and four liters is what we would require. And so it's impossible to stay hydrated. It's impossible to consume 30 to 40 liters of snow. You just can't do it. Besides, snow is basically distilled water. It has no minerals in it. And so it's not the best thing to drink, but if it's all you have, it's what you drink. And I can recall being high on a mountain ridge one evening. The sun had already set. It was getting dark, and everyone else had retired to their tents. But I was outside my tent. I was sitting on my pack with a little kerosene stove in front of me. And I got the biggest metal pot I could find, and I packed it with snow. And I had a little bit of grape Kool-Aid. It wasn't nearly enough, but I dumped in what I had. And I let the snow melt over the heat of the flame. And then I drank the entire pot. Then I took the pot and I packed it with snow again. And what little grape flavoring I had, I put in there, watched it melt, and drank all of that. Now, under normal conditions, I wouldn't be interested in drinking a very diluted, grape-flavored bucket of distilled water. But being as thirsty as I was, it tasted great. I'd never been so thirsty in my life, really before or since. And it's, as Martin Luther said, thirst is a great bartender. Hunger is a great cook. 
Water is essential for life. It's not optional. But we don't crave it until we thirst for it. Our gospel reading for this morning from John 7, verse 37, I read. It's on page 10 in your worship bulletin. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Let him come to me and drink. So, Roman numeral 1, page 11 in your bulletin. To whom does Jesus address his appeal? It is to those who thirst. Now, this is not a physical thirst. It's a spiritual thirst. But what does that mean? Well, first, let's identify what it does not mean. And I've shared this before, but it's a true story. One of the pastors in our circuit was taking communion to a woman in the hospital. And he said to her, well, first we must confess our sins. And she said, I have nothing to confess. And he was a little taken aback by that. And he said, well, you know, Psalm 19 says, cleanse me, O Lord, from hidden faults. I mean, even those things we're not aware of uh, can be sinful And so it's good to confess. She said, I have nothing to confess. And his response was, I have no sacrament then to give you. I have no Christ to give you. Letter A, if you're convinced of your own goodness, Jesus means little or nothing to you. If you're Convinced of your goodness, Jesus means little or nothing. People who are full of their own holiness have no need of Jesus. Jesus said in Luke 5, I've not come to call the righteous, or those who think they are, but sinners to repentance. And let her be, unless the gospel is preached to the thirsty, To those who crave righteousness, who crave forgiveness, unless it's preached to them, it will be more despised than accepted. That's a quote from Luther. And I believe that's why there's such indifference to the gospel in our own land. People are indifferent toward it. People ignore the gospel. Why? Because they're not thirsty. And why is that? I think part of the answer is the church today, and this would include parachurch ministries, this would include uh, TV ministries. The church today says little or nothing about the wrath of God. The church says little or nothing about the coming day of judgment and about hell. And and this is why I'm, I'm thankful that we observe the Christian calendar at least because the last several Sundays of every church year, this is in November, and the first couple of Sundays of Advent are about the end of the world. They're about the coming judgment. God is righteous. He is just. He's going to square everything that's not squared here and now. My friends, Jesus did not come to save you from your loneliness, though he can. 
He did not come to save us from our lack of self-esteem, though he can. He came to save us from our sins and from the righteous judgment of God. So Roman numeral two, acquiring thirst. You know, once you seriously consider that God is just and that he will call each of us to account for every selfish thought, every angry word, only then does the man on the cross begin to look attractive to us. Only then do you begin to think, you know, I might need him. And then there are those mistakes that we make, our most shameful moments that we wish to keep secret and hidden from the view of others. But God is a God of transparency. Letter B, God believes in transparency. Just as we demand transparency in government, and just as we want the wrongdoing of others to be exposed to the light, God promises to expose our secret sins to the light of day for all to see. Jesus said, whatever has been covered up will be revealed. Whatever is done in secret will be made known to all. If your sins are not uncovered today, they'll be uncovered tomorrow. If not then, then the next day, or the next day, and certainly on the last day. And when I stop to think that my own secret sins will be uncovered to the view of all, I suddenly begin to develop a thirst. A thirst for Jesus and for his forgiveness. When I consider that my darkest sins will be made known, I begin to develop a hunger for God who says, I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sins no more. And therefore, when Jesus defines marriage in Matthew 19 as the union of one man and one woman for life, he's not hating on anyone, and he's not being intolerant toward anyone. He's simply trying to create a God-given thirst within us all. When we stand on God's word, and when we say that sex within marriage is right and proper and good, and sex before marriage or outside of marriage is wrong, we're not trying to give offense. We're simply trying to make everyone thirsty for the forgiveness that Christ alone provides. That's the work of the law. The law condemns. The law creates in us a thirst for the righteousness that we lack. And I could add a point C under Roman numeral two. I should have. We lack righteousness. We thirst for justification. This is why we blame others for our mistakes. This is why we tend to make excuses for what we do because we know we lack something essential, something that we need. It is righteousness. It is acceptance. It is forgiveness. We seek it, and we seek it in the wrong places apart from Christ. So Roman numeral three, quenching thirst. You know, Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And then he says in verse 38, whoever believes in me. You see, those two things equal one another. Letter A, to drink 
is to believe in Jesus. And to believe in Jesus, to be baptized into Christ, is to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. A1, the Holy Spirit quenches our thirst by pointing us to Jesus, the thirst quencher. You know, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. He calls us to faith. He brings us to Jesus. And number two, the law, this is another Luther quote, the law or the judgment of God creates thirst and leads us to hell. It leads us to despair of ourselves and our own so-called righteousness. The gospel the good news of our forgiveness in Christ satisfies our thirst and it leads us to heaven. The gospel clothes us in the righteousness that we lack. And then B and C, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. And then Micah 7, you will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. If you are outside of Christ, someday your secret sins will be made known and laid bare before the world. But if you are in Christ, those sins are remembered no more. They are buried in the depths of the sea. They are gone. They are forgotten. Roman numeral four. Christ issues a gracious promise here. Whoever believes in me, verse 38, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. Do you feel like rivers of living water are flowing out of you? Do you feel that way? You know, I heard of a, of a really fine Christian businessman who read these words, verse 38, and he said, I don't feel as if my life measures up to this. I try to follow Christ, but the truth is, I think I fail as much, if not more, than I succeed. Am I doing something wrong? That was his question. Am I doing something wrong? I mean, am I missing something here? It's a very good question. And it reminds me of the parable our Lord spoke in Luke 18 of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And, and many of you know that parable, uh, the, the Pharisees thanking God that he's so wonderful and so good and he does so many good works. And the tax collector, just the opposite, he will not even lift his eyes to heaven. He beats his breast and he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man, beating his breast, went home justified right before God and not the other. So letter A, those, those most filled with the Spirit are those least conscious of it. They are least conscious of it. That is to say, they know their failures. They know their sins. They're probably at least as much aware of their sinfulness and their failures before God as they are of their successes. Letter B, they are aware of their spiritual poverty and complete dependence upon Christ. As Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
My friends, when you carry within you this God-given thirst that only Christ can quench, when you acknowledge before others your unworthiness and confess the worthiness of Christ, that he is your righteousness, that humble spirit within you flows out to those around you. And you become a human fountain of living water by confessing not your own goodness, but the goodness of Christ and his acceptance of you by faith in him. You see, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. That is the overflow of the Spirit within you. It results from the humility that comes about from the law and the gospel. Now, Jesus wants everyone to know that. Jesus wants everyone to come to him, but, but he knows that only the thirsty will respond. Therefore, may God the Holy Spirit daily apply the law of God to our hearts so that we feel our thirst, we recognize our need, and then, most importantly, may God the Holy Spirit apply the gospel to our hearts, the good news that because of Christ and Him alone, we are righteous, we are forgiven in the sight of God, clothed in Jesus, and you can't get any better than that. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.